Good morning, good morning. If you could take your seat. Take a seat down. Um, Still coming in. Okay, we have a handoff. How many of you feel like you've lived long enough to see a lot of change in your lifetime? Um, Do any of you remember when the phone used to ring and you had to go over to the wall and stand there and talk right there standing up because the cord was too short to go anywhere? How many of you remember that? Yeah. How many of you remember, and I'm, I'm talking about firsthand memory now, I'm not talking about you read about it or you saw it in some kind of Facebook post. How many of you remember S&H green stamps? Yeah. How many of you remember TV when you used to have antennas that you had to put aluminum foil on with wire going off to the wall to get all three channels that came? Remember that? Yeah. Um, so many things over the years have come and gone, like how many of you remember cap guns? Yeah, yeah. Uh, How many of you remember getting your fingers pinched in ringer washing machines? My dad had this brilliant idea of putting a half-horse motor on the ringer thing in order to save us having to ring it by hand. And, boy, I tell you what, that thing hurts when that sucks your hand in. Um, How many of you remember full-service gas stations? Without having to ask for anything. Pop your hood. They'll check your oil for you right then. Or how many of you remember having to put bread bags on your feet before you put them in your boots? Still do. Okay. Uh, How many of you remember Rin Tin Tin? Saturday morning. A lot of ideas and fads came down the pike. And last time that Pastor Jonathan spoke, he actually put a picture up of an 8-track player. I think we have a picture here. Do we have that still? The 8-track player? There we go. How many of you remember the 8-track players? Uh, I can remember... How many of you still remember your favorite 8-track? Okay. Mine was Bullfrogs and Butterflies by Barry McGuire. Was that yours? (laughs) I could still. I listened to that thing until I wore the tape out. And then these guys had this crazy idea of getting rid of 8-track players, but they were so good. Um... Over the years, a lot of things have come and gone in our lives, and even for those of us that are like my age, even in our kids' lives, things have come and gone. Like this, I put some of these up here, like Beanie Babies. Remember those? Or Tickle Me Elmo. Remember that? You had to have a Tickle Me Elmo, and if you were smart, you bought 10 of them, and then you sold them online for more money. Remember that? I don't know who would have done that, Jeremy. Um, Hula Hoops. Hula hoops. Do you remember those? Yeah. How many of you have tried to do that recently and end up at the chiropractor? Yeah. Or how about, do you remember the clackers? Remember those clackers that when they would burst, I mean, you put out eyes with those things. They were cool. Or, or now recently they've come out with the clapper. I mean, this is like, there's so many options here. Or cabbage patch dolls. There we go. Or disco waterbeds. Pet rocks were my favorite. I mean, pet rocks, it's like, I mean, how could you go wrong with painting a rock? 
But so many things have come and gone, and you either had it personally or you watched it faithfully on TV or you just weren't cool. And the amazing thing is that just a year later, those things are gone. Or at least it feels like it's a year. I mean, to everything to me is like it just happened. It's like it was here one day and it's gone the next. Um, as a Christian and as a pastor, I want to suggest to you the same kind of thing has happened in the church realm. Fads, trends, or movements, they might be called, have come and they have gone over the years. And the way in which these movements have been measured has been interesting because uh, it, it tends to not merely define what's going on. It actually tends to, without intending to, I think, but it does, it tends to separate or divide people into groups by saying, oh, you're one of those. Or maybe a better way of saying it is, you're not one of us. And that's how trends or movements are measured. And if you're not current in the church trend, you're old school. So like I've gone to churches where they're still singing songs from the 60s, maybe even up to the 70s. But I have to tell you, even as much as I smile when I hear them, like, oh yeah, that's old school. We're, we're way beyond old school. When we start singing, all of a sudden something grips my heart afresh because God's still in them. Were you a part of those? Are you current? Are you with us? One of the interesting movements that's come along recently is the movement called coaching. Have any of you heard of coaching? I'm not talking about your sports coaching. I'm talking about coach coaching, where you're coaching on a Christian or a religious basis. And I got to tell you, I recently took a course on coaching from a certified teacher, and I learned a lot. It was interesting. Some of the techniques, I think, are very, very uh, pertinent to our day and age. So I like the idea of coaching. But as I said in the class, I mean, the teacher would ask questions often because that's kind of what it's about. But as I said in the class, this is not new at all. This is old. My father-in-law, uh, who has now passed away, he was famous for answering your questions with a question. He wouldn't ever answer you. You'd ask him a question. He would think about it for a minute, and then he would ask you a question, making you think about what is the right answer for you? Because he wanted you to take responsibility for your own life. And that's really kind of what coaching is about. Helping people to understand they are empowered by God to have some responsibility for their own life. Uh, this whole idea of coaching has really come along in different variations, different styles, different tags, if you would, over the years. So here are some that I have seen over the years. So this all really still comes back to the idea of coaching, but things like advisors. You had to have advisors or mentors or fathers or mothers in the faith or counselors or even guides. All of these were just other ways of saying things like coaching. Now, you can certainly divide it up. You, you can parse it down to its finest degree and say there's differences between all of them, and there probably are. But in the end, I think what it comes down to is, are you part of the current movement? I can remember a time in church where if you weren't with a counselor, it's because you just didn't realize how broken you were and there was something wrong with you. You were proud. Everybody had to have a counselor. Or I can remember times in which uh, if you didn't have a father, it's because you had an orphan spirit and you didn't realize how desperately you needed somebody to tell you what was right and wrong and what to do. 
Or I can remember a time when everybody had to have a mentor. If you didn't have a mentor, you weren't in. You weren't cool within the church realm. But if I take all of those movements, all of the words that I just gave you, advisor, mentor, uh, counselor, father, coach, all of those words, in my opinion, can be boiled down into this one concept of growth or change in a life. Are you growing? Are you changing as a Christian? Um, two weeks ago, Pastor Jonathan spoke a message to us. How many of you were here for that, to hear that message that he spoke? Uh, I have to tell you, I think it is one of the best messages I have ever heard on the difference between being a believer and a disciple. Because a lot of people are believers. A lot of people believe the right thing. I can go downtown to Bud's where people are living like hell but they still believe the right thing. They still believe in God. They still believe that Jesus is God, but they don't have discipleship in their heart. They're not a follower of Jesus. They're just a believer in Jesus. And if you weren't here for that message, I would encourage you to get it. In fact, I think it was not only the best message that I've ever heard preached on that, I think it's honestly the best message that Pastor Jonathan's ever preached. So I would encourage you. If you didn't hear it, I think you ought to get it because I think it's a word from God to us. So, if I take all of those words that I have given you and kind of encapsulate it all, to me, it all boils down to being a disciple. Or another way of saying that is discipleship. Uh, a person who has a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, not too long ago, I was in a conversation with a, a dear friend. He's been a friend for, oh man, 50, no, how many years now? 40 years? I don't know. I'm not good at this. But anyway, he's been a friend for a long time. This is a guy who was raised in a, uh, a pastoral family. He was raised as a pastor's kid. He went to Bible school. He himself became a pastor on staff at a church. He said to me recently something like this. I tried to get it exact as I could. I'm sure it's not perfect, but this is pretty close to what he said. He said, I'm at a point in life in which I'm fine with myself even if no one else is. I don't think I need to change anymore. I've already done all the changing I think I ever need to do. I don't want to change anymore. That, that was his statement to me. I'm fine with the way. I mean, in, in a way, doesn't that sound kind of like the world? Take me as I am, and if you don't like me, tough luck. I'm fine with me. Nobody else likes me, don't care. I like myself. And that's kind of what he was saying and, and the world kind of says that you either like me as I am or I don't need that kind of negativity, regardless of whether what you're doing is destructive and harmful to you and to others. I like me and I'm glad you like you. But the point is, is you being the real you that God created you to be as his disciple. What is a disciple of Jesus? Or another way of phrasing that would be, what is discipleship? I think the simplest and most basic explanation or example would be that of a parent and a child. A child needs someone in their lives, especially at a young age, who can help to instruct them, to teach them, to help them learn right from wrong and how to do things. A, a parent is there on the scene to help them to learn how to function and to survive. And I believe it's the same with spiritual growth. God will many times use more mature believers to help you along on your journey of faith, to help you to grow and to change, to mature. The process of learning from a more mature Christian is called discipleship. 
And that's kind of what we're about. So would you look over at Luke 14 for a minute? Luke 14. Uh, I'm not going to give you a lot of scriptures today, but I do want you to follow along. And, and it's this idea. In Luke 14, uh, Jesus says this in verse 27. It's going to be up here if you haven't got your Bible with you because you're not a disciple. No. <laughs> I'm kidding, and you know it. Um, Luke 14, 27. This is Jesus speaking. So in your Bible, it's probably red print. He says, Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So he's laying stipulations. If you're going to call yourself a disciple, what do you have to do? You have to follow him and bear your cross. Okay? Verse 33, Likewise, Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So discipleship comes with a definition and a cost. The word disciple, by the way, in the Greek is the word mathetes. mathetes. I think I have that up there for you. And it simply means a learner, a pupil, or a student. Um, so this isn't just a passing fad. Jesus is saying, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're really going to be a Christian, you have to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Every one of us is called by Jesus to be a disciple, to be a learner, a, a pupil, a person who grows in our understanding of him and all that it means to follow him. And honestly, many people, many Christians would say amen to that. Yeah, that's right. That's what it means to be a disciple. They'd say, I love Jesus and I'll follow him anywhere and do anything he says. But that sounds a whole lot like the children of Israel in the wilderness with Moses. They come along and they tell Moses, we'll do whatever God says. We'll follow him to the nth degree. We'll do everything. We love God. Until God put somebody with skin on in front of them who wasn't perfect. And then the next thing you find is they're trying to stone him the very person that God had put in their life in order to disciple them. Why? Because Moses was a human being just like them. He was imperfect just like them. It's really easy to say, I'll follow Jesus, but what happens when Jesus puts people around you who he wants you to follow? Are you a disciple then? Or do you say, no, 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 not going to follow them. I'm going to follow Jesus. And that sounds real spiritual until you realize that all throughout the Scriptures, Jesus puts people around you to help you to grow, to learn, and to change. Jesus uses those people. So it's not enough to say, I love Jesus and I'll follow him. Who, and this is the question for today, who is discipling you? Who is able to truly speak into your life and you're willing and wanting to hear that challenge, that truth, because you want to be a true disciple? Now, over in Matthew 28, you don't have to turn there, but over in Matthew 28, Jesus came and said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So we are all called to be a disciple, but we're also called to disciple. My question that I am grappling with today with you is, what does it mean to be a disciple? And then number two, who do you have in your life who is discipling you, or what? do you have in your life that is discipling you? We're all called to this at some degree, and it never ends no matter how old you get. 
one of the things that impressed me the most, uh, one of the things, I mean, it, it's been a lifetime, but one of the things that impressed me the most about my father-in-law, I mean, here he is in his early 90s. Uh, he's lived a long life. He's been a pastor. He's been an elder, uh, elder in Elam Fellowship, the president of the Bible College. And yet, even late in life, he'd get up early in the morning and he would read like five, six, seven devotionals so that he could continue to learn and to grow. And we would come down and he'd want to talk about what he had just read. Now, the truth is, sometimes at that point in life, I knew he already knew that 25, 30 years ago. But because of his place in life, it came with fresh excitement and enthusiasm. And I think that's kind of what I'm trying to talk about. There's never a point in your life in which you're too old or too mature to have the ability for somebody to speak into your life in order to help you to grow. Um, I want to clarify one more thing before I get into this whole idea of the characteristics of discipleship and being discipled. If you notice the language that is used, it's mathetes. It means a learner. And I want you to just stop and think about it. When I say a learner, who carries the onus for that? Who carries the responsibility? If I say you're a learner, where does the weight of responsibility weigh? On you. We tend to think of it as something that is put upon me. It's something I receive. And is it true that I should receive something from somebody who's discipling me? Yes. From somebody who's teaching me? Yes. Absolutely. But the responsibility, the weight of the responsibility is upon you to be a learner, to be a changed person, to be a grower. That's where the weight of responsibility is. And I know that Jesus himself was a discipler. He discipled his 12 as well as others, but there was one who quit on him, and his name was Judas. So you could say it was Jesus' fault because he apparently didn't disciple him well. Or you could understand the truth is Judas was not a good disciple. He did not follow the teachings of his discipler. So the weight of the responsibility is upon us. I am sure that at some point Judas in his heart of hearts said, I'm sorry, I, I'm just not getting anything out of your teachings anymore. I don't feel like you're feeding me. And by the way, that's something that I have heard over the years throughout churches, whether from me or from others. Somebody comes into a church and they're doing well, they're perhaps a new believer and they're excited about it, and they come into church, they hear the Word of God taught, and they're thrilled about it. They receive it like a sponge. And then time passes and pretty soon they come to that same pastor who's teaching the same kind of truth in the same way. And he says, I'm sorry, I, I just, I'm not getting anything out of your teaching anymore. And I want to ask them, what's changed? It's the same truth. It's the Word of God. It's perhaps even the same person teaching it. But one point you can receive and the other point you can't. What's changed? You stopped being a learner, a grower. And that's where the challenge comes. So what I want to do briefly today is I want to look at uh, a few of the fundamental characteristics of being a disciple. Now, again, my theme is who is discipling you? And you could say, why then are you talking about the characteristics of being a disciple? Because if you're going to have somebody disciple you, I think you ought to be able to say, number one, I have these characteristics at work in me, but I want to make sure they have those characteristics at work in them. So if you're going to have somebody speak into your life, I think you ought to be looking for a specific kind of person who speaks into your life. Somebody who has a proven record, 
who is mature in the faith. So here are the characteristics that I'm just going to point out today. Very, very simply, uh, there's nothing fancy about them, but I want you to get them. Number one, being a disciple means being a worshiper. More fundamentally than anything else, to be a disciple means to be a worshiper of Jesus exclusively. Remember, back in Luke 14, Jesus said, unless you forsake all, you can't be my disciple. In other words, Jesus is an all-or-nothing God. You can't pick him and something else. Uh, in John 4, 23 and 24, Jesus said, the Father is seeking true worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. A lot of people are cool with Jesus, at least their notion of Jesus. They, they like the Jesus who is kind of positive. They don't so much like the Jesus who is exclusive. They like the Jesus who's kind of like a old-time Gandhi who came out with some of these nice tweetable phrases. They like the Jesus who said, judge not lest you be judged kind of Jesus. They like the Jesus who is kind of like the nice guy. You know, the guy who loves kids. They like that kind of Jesus. They don't like the Jesus who says, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to leave all and follow me. You have to love me more than anything else in life. And yet, that's what worship is about. Worship, by definition, in fact, if I could take the word worship and break it down, it literally means worth-ship. Is Jesus worth everything to you? Is he worth more than anything else in this life? Have you found that your love for Jesus is continuing to grow? Because if not, perhaps you're guilty of what the Scripture says, you've lost your first love, where he just becomes another addendum. You know, I know Christians who go throughout the whole week and don't even give a thought to Jesus. Not a thought. They, they, they don't even pray over their food to think about God. It's only on Sunday when they come to church that they happen to give thought to him. But Jesus says, I am to claim every bit of your attention, every bit of your affection in order to be my disciple. Worship is about worship. Everyone is being discipled by someone or something. And my question to you today is, is what or who is discipling you helping to amplify his worship? If you're spending more time listening to Rush Limbaugh or Glenn Beck than you are to Jesus, there's a problem. I, I mean, I drive down the road, and I can turn on my radio just like anybody else, and there will be, you know, rush, and I can listen to him. I can take him in maybe, you know, three, four, five-minute doses, and that's about it. Because then I find something starts to get stirred up in me, and it's not holy. It's not righteous. I might want to explain it away, but it's really not. My question is, is Jesus having more say into your life than anything else? And are the people you're allowing to speak into your life actually encouraging Jesus' worship? Because if not, you've got the wrong person discipling you. Um, whatever it is or whoever it is that's discipling you, it should be inciting you to worship Jesus more. So when you think about a person who's going to disciple you, are they a worshiper? And I'm not talking just about whether they sing on Sunday. Does their life emanate a passion for Jesus, where he is everything to them. And so that when you hang out with them, you're driven back towards the Lord. Is the person who is discipling you a worshiper? Are they causing you to worship him more and more? So many things in life can distract us. But is the person who speaks into your life to help you to grow and to mature, 
encouraging you to be a worshiper. Number two, being a disciple means being a servant. Um, I was uh, a young man at the time, and uh, I went uh, to be an assistant to a guy who was the pastor of Elam Gospel Church. So that was a significant church even at the time. It was smaller back in the day, but it was still significant because all of the teachers and staff of Elam Fellowship went there. And I was asked to be discipled by him. He was also, by the way, the president of Elam Fellowship. So I, I say that to you not to like blow his horn. I say that to say I didn't pick just some Joe Blow. I picked somebody who was recognized and respected as being a man of God who would speak into my life. And when I was taken under his wing, I was excited because I thought this guy is going to teach me so much. He's going to teach me all kinds of ministry truths and spiritual truths that I need that's going to help me to grow. And it was wonderful. I can still remember the very first day I went to work with him. His name was Elmer. And I went to see him. I never called him Elmer at the time. I called him Brother Frank because that was a, a title of respect, in my opinion. So I went to see Brother Frank, and we're going to have our first day together. I come to his house. He had a small apartment on named campus. And uh, I come to his house. I knock on the door. He opens it. He invites me in. And he's getting dressed. And he said, okay, we're going to go out door-to-door uh, visiting. And I thought, oh, great, I'm going to see how you do all this. He said, what I'd like you to do is I would like you to make some sandwiches for us. And I thought about it, and I said, okay. Any specific kind? He says, whatever's in the refrigerator, just make some sandwiches for us. While I worked for Brother Frank, I made sandwiches. I took his suits to the dry cleaners. I mowed his lawn. I washed his car. I changed his oil. I did all of those kind of tasks. And I have to tell you, I was young enough, I was immature. At the time, I thought, I'm not being discipled. I'm this guy's slave. It doesn't seem right. Why am I having to clean your car? I'm here to learn spiritual things. Here I am, 40 years later, and I have to tell you, I think he taught me an immense amount. But most of all, he taught me that to be a servant of God is the highest call. When I went to Elam, one of the things that impressed me the most, and these were men and women of renown, I mean, they would travel the world and be invited to speak at large conferences, just amazing men and women. But I can remember one of the first things that my father-in-law taught us is you ought not call yourself a leader. You ought to call yourself a servant leader because servanthood comes before leadership. If you're not a good servant, you will never be a good leader. Because if you can't serve the people you're leading, why should they ever follow you? Servanthood is so important. The same... Uh, writer, John, who gave us the wonderful picture of Jesus as a worshiper in John 4. In John 13, you have another picture of Jesus bowing down to wash his disciples' feet in John 13, 5. And Peter, seeing that happen, says, don't let it be so, Lord. In other words, Peter has this ultimate picture of Jesus, and I'm not going to let that worship of Jesus allow him to serve me. And Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. Jesus is the worthy one, but he's also the servant. In fact, he says in Mark 10, 45, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. 
In that same passage in John 13, after he washes his disciples' feet, he says this, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And again, I don't think the issue is washing feet. In their culture, that makes sense. And in some cultures around the world, it still makes sense. But not so much in our culture. We're not looking to wash one another's feet in that way. But then he went on to say this, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. What did he do? He bowed down and he served. He served those who were even under him. Because that's what it means to be a true disciple of the Father. To serve those around us. In one sense, the attitude and posture of a servant is good for us at all times. But in another sense, Jesus also said that that's to be geared towards disciples serving disciples. In fact, he says in, um, where is it? In Galatians 6.10, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. In John 13, he finishes his foot washing by saying, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. How? By how you love one another. How do you demonstrate that? By how you serve one another. When we get together, are you looking for opportunity to serve? Not to be served, but to serve. Not what you can get out of it, but what you can give as a servant of God. To be a true disciple of Jesus means to serve like him. And again, it's really easy to say, I love Jesus and I want to serve Jesus. But what happens when serving Jesus means serving a person? Serving a person who's as imperfect as you are. Because that's all he gives us. I don't care whether it's Moses discipling Joshua or uh, Elijah discipling Elisha or Peter discipling John Mark or Paul discipling Barnabas or Titus. All of them were imperfect. But they were called to serve the one who was discipling them. Uh, we're all imperfect, everyone. And this isn't about come and serve me. That's not what this is about. I've never acted that way. I don't believe that way. But I am saying that you ought to be able to serve the one who is speaking into your life. If you can't, there's something wrong in your mentality. There's something wrong in your thinking. If you can say, I love Jesus and I want to serve Jesus, but you can't serve people, there's something wrong in your thinking. Because being a disciple means being a servant. First, a servant, before you can ever be a servant leader. And number three, being a disciple means being a witness. He said in John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This means that Jesus' disciples are on a mission. They're willing to be sent wherever. It means in the broadest sense, they are missionaries. They're empowered to step into the world because they have a story. What is your story that you have to share? And is the person who is speaking into your life a person who's already had a story in their own life? Um, so often I have people tell me about wanting to be used by God to minister for him. And we will say things like, great, that's exciting to hear. You want to help us? Yes. Okay. Uh, we would like somebody to clean the bathrooms. I'm wondering if that's something you'd be willing to do. Well, no, I meant ministry. I, I didn't mean, you know, cleaning the bathroom. You'll forgive me, but cleaning the bathroom is a great ministry. One of the things that has impressed me, and I talked to them about it this morning, over this last 
two weeks, I believe, maybe three, I'm not sure, but I think two weeks. I had a couple of needs before the service, and I went to three of the different Slater boys, and I asked them if they would be willing to help me, and every single one of them served well. I love that servant heart, and I love the fact that that's been cultivated into them by the ones who are discipling them, which would be then their parents, Ben is their youth pastor, the children's ministry as they were raised up, all speaking into their lives. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to be willing to serve, but you also have to be willing to be sent on whatever tasks is asked of you. Uh, one of the things that uh, I hear all the time is people saying, I want to serve God. But when you give them the opportunity to say, yeah, but now is not a good time. Can, can we put that off for a little bit? Or, yeah, uh, that climate doesn't agree with me. I'm sorry. One of the things that impressed me a lot uh, in our recent Costa Rican trip is uh, we had a man go with us, Leo Compagna. I don't, how many of you guys know who Leo is? Leo is a man, by the way, who is, I believe I have this right, correct me if I'm wrong, 77 years old. Think about this. A 77-year-old man going on a missions trip to Costa Rica. Now, before the trip, he was a little bit concerned because he's in fairly good health. And he's thinking in his mind, if I go on this trip and I get sick down there, that could be my downfall. Because you know when you get older, things that you could bounce back from when you're younger, you don't bounce back from as easily. So he's a little bit concerned. And so we talked through it. And he ended up saying to me, you put out the offer, and I feel like God wants me to walk through that door. And so he went on that missions trip. He slept on an air mattress on a concrete floor in a climate that is substantially warmer. I think the one day my uh, thermometer kept shutting off at 110 degrees. And bug bites like you can't believe. I mean, I'm talking about, I mean, I had bug bites that were swollen all over the place. He and I are both very allergic to those kind of bug bites. Uh, showers and bathrooms that are outside in a tarped in area. It was just lovely. But a 77-year-old man was willing to be sent. While younger said, yeah, I don't know if it's the right time for me. I, I don't know. And besides that, I, I don't really feel called to that. I feel called to something else. I want to suggest to you, when you get an option of serving by going, why don't you go? Find a reason to go, not a reason not to go. One of the amazing things about Leo is, on the way back he told me, um, you know, Pastor, this, this was really good for me, and I've already signed up to go to Honduras this year. So he goes to Costa Rica, and now he's going to Honduras in the same year. That's what it means to be a sent one. We have to be willing to send, whether here or there. Because if you're waiting to be sent only there, but you're not willing to serve and be a missionary here, there's something wrong in your thinking. I have a whole lot of people that are willing to go halfway around the world and tell their neighbor, but they're not willing to tell their neighbor across their own road. They're not willing. I, I go on missions trips. I've been on a lot of missions trips, and I've taken a lot of people with me. And I see people come into services, and in the services in other countries, I mean, hands are raised, they're jumping, they're going after it. But in their own church, they don't. And then they come and say, I'd like to go and do children's ministry there. Would you support us? I'm thinking, no, until you do children's ministry here, until I see something here, I'm not going to be the supporter of that. 
And a lot of people come back from a mission trip and say, this was so cool, I want to go there and do it. And I'm saying, good, I'm glad that's in your heart. But let me see you do it here first. And then we'll send you. And we'll be able to send you with thrill and joy. So to be a disciple means you're a missionary, you're a witness, you're sent to tell your story. Or as the old hymn used to, be, used to say, I love to tell the story of Jesus and his love. A disciple of Jesus makes disciples of Jesus. So when you're considering who has access to your life, ask yourself, are they a person who regularly tells their story? Who is a worshiper of Jesus? Who is a servant of Jesus? But also loves to talk about him everywhere at all times. So that's kind of my characteristics. What I want to do really quickly now is I want to give you uh, the ideal, um, let, let's put it this way, the ideal disciple candidate. Yeah, that's a good wording. The ideal disciple candidate. And it, it's kind of like this. Uh, some of you know that um, I've lost some weight, but when I went on this trip, we ate like pigs. Uh, it was bad. We never stopped eating, ever, ever. And if we did stop eating, then Mark and Kayla had protein bars for us. Uh, it was bad. So my, my, my ideal for a discipleship candidate is the word fat. Fat. I think you ought to be fat. If you're going to be a disciple, you need to be fat. But I am defining fat in this way. It's kind of like an acronym. Fat, F, means are you faithful? Are you faithful? Are you prepared to make a commitment to this lifelong process that you will never stop being discipled? Don't ask somebody to disciple you today and then tomorrow say, I didn't like what you said yesterday, so I'm done. Are you prepared to make a commitment to a lifelong process of being a learner and grower so that your love for Jesus would grow? Uh, that doesn't mean, by the way, demanding things of the people who are discipling you. I have gone to men in my life and I've asked them to disciple me, to father me, to bring me farther along. But I didn't put demands upon them. I watched them, I learned from them, I asked questions, and I served them. And in doing that, it opened the door for them to speak even more into my life. Even to this very day, I have people who speak into my life. So, number one, are you faithful? Number two, the A of fat is, are you available? If you're too busy to be discipled, you're too busy. Your life is just too busy. You need people who speak into your life to help you to grow. You need to make time for that. You will make time for other things you want. I have found again and again that if somebody really wants to do something, they will make time for it. What really counts in your life? In mine, I want to grow. I want to become more and more like Jesus. That is my daily prayer. Help me to become more like you. Um, number, or the letter T is teachable. Are you humble enough to not come as a know-it-all and to learn? To learn. Um, I have read a lot in my life. I really have. Um, not as much as some, but I've read a lot. And I have read from guys that are well-known, renowned teachers of the Word. And i got to tell you, sometimes I've watched them from chapter to chapter say the same thing, where it feels like all they're doing is they're copying chapter 1 into chapter 5. But I come to chapter 5, and immediately, of course, I'm not stupid, I click. I've read this before, and I'm flipping back. Yeah, you said the same thing. In fact, it's almost word for word. So I could just discount it. Or I can say, God, if you had them say that again, maybe there's a reason. Maybe you want to click something in my own heart this time that I didn't get before. Are you willing to be teachable? So if you're a fat candidate, 
for discipleship, what do you do? Very simply, I have four points and then I'm done. Uh, number one, you pray. You pray and you ask God to show you. Who might God have? And I'm not talking about, uh, you know, God, you know, I need a, a, a word from you. I'm talking about God, I'm asking you to open the door that you will put somebody in my path who I know ought to speak into my life um, and let them speak into your life. So first thing is to pray. Second thing is to seek. Have your eyes open. And I'm not talking about writing Joel Olstein and asking Joel to disciple you. Uh, and I have people all the time that tell me, well, you know, I, I come to church because I feel like it's right, but really Joel or, you know, who, you name the person, it doesn't matter. They're, they're really my pastor. And I said, good. When you're sick and in the hospital, you have them come and visit you then because that's what's going to happen. Oh, yeah, and all the people from their church will come and visit you too. I don't think so. So my statement is, when you're seeking, maybe you ought to ask God in your prayers to put somebody who's right around you who's able to speak into your life. Uh, next one is act. I didn't just realize I should have made this an acronym. I didn't. Act. And by this I mean don't sit around waiting for someone to approach you. You approach them and say, I have seen something in you that I think is godly and right. And I'm wondering, as you're able, would you be, again, you're not making demands upon them because you're the learner, not them. You're asking, as you're able, would you be willing to you know, speak into my life if you see things that you think need somebody to correct it or to bring some direction or help? Or can I come and ask you questions when I have questions? Be proactive about it. And by the way, uh, even if they say no, not right now, that doesn't mean you still shouldn't be looking to them. I had one man say to me, yeah, I've I, I got several people I'm discipling right now. I don't really think I have the time. I still look to him no matter what. And over the years, it became more and more of a relationship until he would say, he has discipled me. I've been one of his sons. And lastly, trust. I believe it's God's will that you have somebody speak into your life. So can you trust that God will put somebody into your life? All right, what we're going to do now, recognizing that's the call, and you're going to hear one more message on that next week, but recognizing that's the call, I'm going to ask you to have in your heart the desire to be a true disciple of Jesus, which means have somebody speak into your life, somebody who's farther along than you are. Don't get somebody who's just your best friend. That's good to have a good friend. I mean that sincerely. Have a friend. But if you want to be discipled, have somebody who's farther along, who, who has walked with Jesus a bit longer and has some of those characteristics that I've talked about, that they're a worshiper, they're a servant, and they're a witness for Jesus. Have that in your heart. And ask God to open the door of that into your life so that you can grow. What we're going to do now is on this morning of the month, we have time for prayer where we have helps that I didn't see up here. I just realized, but that's life. They're still going to be there. We're still going to have teams that are going to be up here, able and willing to pray for you. We have the different teams, like H will be over there, which is for healing. If you feel like you need healing, over there. E is going to be like right about there where the banners are. That's if you want a fresh encounter with God. L is going to be about here, which is if you've got life situations that you're facing, problems, struggles, this would be a good place. P is going to be over here, which is going to be if you feel like you need a prophetic word. They would be able to work with you. And then S over there, which is if you need to make a commitment to the Lord in salvation, this would be a great opportunity, and we would love to pray with you. So would you stand with me for a moment? I want to pray, and then we're going to have those teams, while I'm praying, come on up front so that you're up front in your positions. Would you join with me?
Father, I thank you that your call is not an impossible call, but you have made a way for us to be a disciple and to be discipled. And we look to you, Father, for that person or persons that you would put into our lives who would speak truth and life and encouragement and hope into us, who would challenge us in areas of our behavior or lifestyle, who would help us to grow, not legalistically, not with control, but with a sense of uh, responsibility in the spiritual realm. So we pray, God, that you would do something in every single heart, that we would not be a church that just has a bunch of believers, people who believe the right thing, because your word says in James that even the demons believe. We don't want to be just a believer. We want to be doers of the word. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you would do that in us, that we would have people who would speak into our lives to help us to grow and to change. I pray it in the name of Christ. Amen.